What's the balance of words that build and words that destroy? What are you attending to and are you properly attending to it? I can't really navigate this world by myself and no one really could. We, we really need each other. Human beings are inclined towards the good. I don't have to explain it. I just believe it. I change my mind a lot because we grow up. That moment of using words not well during the day and then using the words at night, I'm sorry, was a game changer. Welcome to The Power Of with Noam Weissman. From Unpacked, I'm Noam Weissman, and you're listening to The Power Of. This week, The Power of Healthy Disagreements. The Power Of is brought to you thanks to our generous platinum-level supporters, the Mayberg Foundation and David and Deborah Magerman, as well as our additional gold-level supporters, Cheryl and Gerald Hartman, and bronze-level supporters, the Crane Mailing Foundation. To sponsor future episodes, email us at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. I'm not unique. Like most people, I'm both frustrated and fascinated by disagreement. Little disagreements come up all the time, sometimes in a professional setting with my colleagues, with Google Docs, sometimes at the dinner table with my wife, sometimes out with friends over a bottle of wine. Disagreeing, debating, seeing ideas differently are all a part of life. But sometimes they don't just seem like a curiosity. Oh, we disagree. That's interesting. Let's talk about it. They can feel like personal attacks. People, and yes, I am one of them, struggle with the art and science of disagreement. To say it has become toxic is well beyond cliche at this point. There are memes, tweets, articles, books, whole tomes on the question of disagreement. So what do we do about this? In recent years, I've become obsessed with figuring out how to disagree with love, respect, and integrity. And I've become even more obsessed with thinkers and leaders who push us in this area. And that's why I had to speak to Rav Judah Michel, one of my teacher's friends, and yes, one of my Rebbe's. As you'll hear, he and I disagree about a lot, and it's intense. After speaking with Rav Judah, I realized he has a trait I want to emulate in my life. It's the combination of humility and curiosity. Adam Grant, a brilliant public intellectual out of the University of Pennsylvania, tells us that it takes humility to consider information that contradicts your opinions. You're willing to concede you might be wrong. It takes curiosity to actively seek evidence that challenges your views. You're eager to find out if you might be wrong. How many of us have this disposition? How many of us try to convince others that we are so right about everything? If they only just had the information we had, they would agree How many of us forget what David Hume, the great philosopher, taught us hundreds of years ago? That it is futile to persuade someone of an idea with logic alone that does not speak to one's emotions. It's so incredibly challenging to be so incredibly passionate about our own ideas on the one hand and be open to the idea that maybe, just maybe, I don't see the full picture or at least There are other ideas to consider. And maybe, just maybe, the person I'm speaking to is a great human being who sees the world differently than me. These are the questions I explored with Rav Judah. So ladies and gentlemen, I bring you Rav Judah Michelle on the topic of healthy disagreements. Rav Judah, it is so incredible to have you on the show today on The Power Of. Thank you for joining. Thank you so much for having me. Rav Judah, there are 10 different topics that 
we have on the show and the power of. I've known you for a long time. I wasn't expecting this to be your go-to topic of the 10. Why did you choose this topic? I'll be honest. Love, success, happiness. Uh, I didn't want to invite Stink Eye. <laughs> I took <laughs> that love. To, you know, fashion. Listen, I think I'm doing okay, but there might be other people, <laughs> there might be other people out there who could be better. Uh, racism, bad for business. Uh, you corner me into saying something about how I'm a Jewish supremacist or something like that, and I just think that that's not good for business. Hopefully not, but yes. <laughs> Whatever I'm saying, you know. Uh, so uh, I thought that healthy disagreement, I mean, of everything that was left, you know, uh, uh, and also because and also because I feel like it's uh, it's something that I've been very conscious of and trying over the last number of years to be more mindful and careful with and, uh, and actually uh, be, be actively working toward. So uh, I'm grateful for the opportunity to be here. I'm incredibly excited to have you here. I'm going to start with Torah. Here's a piece of Torah I want to share with you. It's from Pirkei Avot, and the, it goes like this. What type of dispute is considered L'Shem uh, Shemaim, meaning, I guess, ideal, positive, maybe that's not even a great description. And the answer is, Zo Machloket Hillel Shammai. The answer is, it's a dispute between Hillel and Shammai. And what is the type of dispute that is not L'Shem Shemaim, that is not ideal? The answer is a machloket, a dispute between Korach, Uchol Adato, and his entire community. Rav Judah, break this down for me. What does that mean? What, what's the reason when we think of healthy disagreement in Judaism? Why is it the case that Hillel and Shammai in their debate does the Mishnah come to and it says, hey, listen, that's the ideal type of way to have an argument. Whereas Korach and his congregation is not the ideal. What's the difference between the two from your perspective? So it's, it's a great question. You know, Hillel and Shammai were bar plugtas, it's called. They were people who were always, or you know, 99% of the time were on opposite sides of the perspective of the coin of the spectrum. And there are over 600 times in Talmud and commentaries where they're disagreeing. And, right. and our sages tell us, the Talmud tells us that you would imagine there'd be animosity there. But we know that the, the students of Beit Shammai and the descendants of Beit Shammai, the house of Shammai, and the students and the descendants of the house of Hillel married each other. Hmm. In other words, their disagreements were about ideas. Their disagreements were for a higher purpose toward getting toward the bottom line of really understanding God in the world. And as in contradistinction to, to someone who was Korach, you know, Korach's motivations were ego-driven. They were, it, was, it was about power, it was about status or, or honor, and, and had, had little to do with um, really getting down to, to what's called the MS, so to speak. The you know, truth. The, the, the truth. The truth. So, you know, when we're talking about what's L'Shem Shemaim, what's for the purpose, a higher purpose, a transcendent purpose for the sake of heaven versus for the sake of our own bottom line, you know, our own pocket, our own honor, our own status, those are two paradigms that, um, that the ethics of the fathers uh, point to. I don't know if the Kutzka Rebbe was the one who said this, but there's the idea that like even mitzvot that are done L'Shem Shemaim have to be done L'Shem Shemaim. And so I wanted to ask you, when I think that if you were to ask 80%, 90% of people, if when they're having a debate, are they really acting like Korach or they're really acting like Hillel or Shammai? I think most of us, at least at first glance, would say, no, 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 I'm not being like Korach. This is about me genuinely believing that this ideal is the right way to go. How do you make sure that what we're doing when we're disagreeing with one another is not 
ego driven? What, what are what are our checks and balances to ensure that it's not about me? That it really is about the idea and the ideal. And I mean, it's it's hard for us to get out of our own way. It's like hard for us to see beyond our own nose, and uh, we often convince ourselves of the righteousness of our position. And, and we all, you know, most of us, lack the self awareness most of the time. To, right. to really notice when we are being l'shma or l'shem shemaim for the sake of heaven or for the sake of our own, you know, self-aggrandizement, our own, uh, our own ego, our own ego, our own self-promotion, it's uh, it's tricky. And this is why uh, we we sometimes tend to to slide into a, a very un- a unpleasant place of uh, what's called sinat chinam of of baseless hatred of, of of not understanding that we can disagree with somebody passionately and and disagree with an idea or a behavior passionately uh, and deeply without it uh, corroding the the basis of a a respectful dialogue and relationship. Let's get personal. Like Tiesto said, let's get down to business, right? Let's really think about this. I find that very often we disagree with the people uh, that are closest to us. And it's most painful when that's the case, when the people that are most closest to us are the ones having intense disagreements with us. Why do you think that is? And why do you think, or do you have examples in your own life where you could turn to, to help us really think about this out loud together? And why do we treat the ones that we're closest to, why do we often treat them the worst in the world of debate? Yeah, well, I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a really, I mean, that's the money shot question right there is, why is it that, you know, when we're out and about in, in the street with the people that we work with and the people that we interact with as strangers, we, we can act polite and patient and, and, and with grace, and then we come home and we can, you know, so to speak, let our guard down. Yeah. Um, in a place where, you know, we really ought to be our best selves, we kind of sometimes just, you know, regress into this very, uh, you know, lowest combinator, not denominator of self. And forget about it, and you go back home and you leave your underwear on the floor again or whatever it is, and we'd start, you know, mouthing off to our parents, like regress to being 14 years, a 14 year old aggressive. You know, or their own children. We, the way we one would criticize their own children versus the way they would talk to somebody else's kid uh, in a classroom or another context. It's 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 wild. When you think of it's it. wild. It's wild. You know, because this, it, it, like like we said, we're we're so no gabadaba. We're so vested um, and uh-huh. so subjective, and we want so deeply to to help and support and love and express. And sometimes we're just not able to. We just don't know how. I, I think sometimes that the love and the the love and the desire to fix. And to contribute and to help that person sometimes just overwhelms our, our ability to, to be objective. And sometimes a little bit of distance is helpful. Mm. When we're in a home or in a family or in a marriage or with friends or, or, or with people that we're closest to, sometimes there's like this shared space and shared responsibilities and shared uh, place that there's a, sometimes, you know, it, it's amorphous. It's, it's, it's undefined. We're close to each other, and that's where the lack of definition, the lack of boundaries lie, and that's why sometimes the people that we love and the people that we're closest to, we, we, there's more of a, a, we're more apt to have like a, a machloket, which which we get in our own way. It's about that's excellent. You know, well, this is my spot, not that's your excellent. spot. It's less about that's excellent. less about light and darkness and truth, and more about what's me, where's my place, and what's your place. That's excellent. There's going to be that Freudian narcissism of a little difference, perhaps. But you know what? That is the place that I need to say, okay, this debate that we're about to have has to be L'Shem Shemaim. It has to be for a greater cause. And so maybe the antidote 
to having unhealthy disagreements is to assure that the values that we have on the outside are also on the inside. I imagine that uh, every marriage and every home and every uh, every every family would benefit from such a thing. <laughs> I, I I think so. So so let's get let's get let's let's go through some examples for, perhaps. Are there examples in your own life that you've changed your mind on something? You changed your mind. You saw something one way, and I see it differently. I do. I do. I change my mind a lot. I change my mind a lot. I mean, I'm, because we grow up. Because the mind of a person who's 44 and the thought process and the decisions and the attitude should be developmentally appropriate and not one that I had 10 years ago, five years ago. We're, 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 in, a, we're in a liminal state of growth and change. And we always ought to be assessing and reassessing our perspectives. I mean, e- even within family, I- I've grown to appreciate family members who I, you know, at one point or another had severe disagreements with and, and saw the world and still see the world, you know, very differently or, or see education differently or, or Jewish values differently. How are you able to have a good relationship with those people? What do you do to make sure that you have a good relationship with people who have hurt you or people who are in your family who have radically different feelings about politics, religion, philosophy? Review, I know that, for example, you and I, and like, I love you. You and I don't see eye to eye politically. We don't see eye to eye politically. And yet, uh, and by the way, maybe on certain things, we, or maybe we do, by the way, I was like, I don't, I actually, as I was saying that, <laughs> as I was saying that, I was unsure. I said it very confidently, but then I... <laughs> Listen, Republicans buy sneakers too, like like the great Michael Jordan said. We don't always have to share our opinions about everything, you know. Uh, okay, fair enough. But either way, there there are people that you know you have strong disagreements with, and you don't see eye to eye politically, theologically, perhaps re- uh, halakhically, religiously. What enables you to have a good relationship with that person? So I, I, a lot of it, I think, has to do with again getting a little bit older. There's definitely a softening of the edges um, and a little bit of maturity to realize, like that maybe the way I, I felt about you and your opinions had less to do with your, you and your opinions and more to do with my insecurity and my own self, my own lack of clarity in my own uh, ideology and lack of confidence in my own system of belief and, and, and felt like in order to define myself, I needed to like do it vis-a-vis you and push back mm-hmm. a little bit in your place. And as we get hopefully older or a little bit more wise, a little bit more experienced, um, we can become a little bit more nuanced, a little bit more clear in ourselves and confident and comfortable in our own skin to be able to say, listen, this is what I think. And I understand that there's other ways of seeing the world also. And we don't need to like, you know, I don't need to like prove myself with this idea over you. When you have a machlokas l'shem shamayim, you'll be able, I can marry the children to each other. You can get along with your brother. You can get along with your in-laws. You can get along with the people in your house, even if you disagree, because... You know, you realize when you don't, and when I feel that anger or jealousy or resentment, and like that impossibility of sitting there and swallowing my food and enjoying a taste of the challah and the dips, because there's a guy at my table I'm related to who voted differently than me or sees the world differently than me or practices Judaism differently, and I can't swallow him or her or, 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 what, I, or what I'm eating and enjoy it because of them. That's not, I know that that's not machalok at because the relationship is not mitkayim. It's not, it's not existing. I'm with you. I want to get personal on my end. So like there's, there are different types of disagreements. Okay. On the one hand, I'll go from the lowest level. I have a friend and um, a very close friend of mine that lives here in South Florida. 
and he likes black olives more than green olives. And I think it's a ridiculous proposition on his point. Like, I think it's ridiculous. Why, how could you possibly like black olives more than green olives? Like, who are you? What's wrong with you? Like, green olives are better than black olives. That's like a very low level. That's a very, you know, not a vulnerable type of disagreement. Then I have, um, but do you agree with me that green olives are better than black olives or no? Republicans best interest too. I'm not, gonna, I'm not getting involved in this kind of stuff. This okay, is, that's, that's, that's too political. That's too political. Okay, I got a more, I have a mortgage to pay. I can't, I can't, I can't alienate. You can't weigh in on the color and taste of olives. I'm with you. Then there are people, and I moved from LA to South Florida, and I want to just describe to you two different Shabbat tables that I've had, and they're very real live examples. Okay. Example number one is when I lived in LA, I had a Shabbat lunch with close friends of mine. And at the Shabbat lunch, we were talking about politics, mistake number one. And during this conversation, Donald Trump came up and people were talking about President Trump. And I was mentioning that I have many friends who support President Trump. The person at this Shabbat meal said to me, Noam, I cannot believe that you're willing to be friends with people who support Trump. Like, I, I, it's actually hard for me to be friends with you and to have a Shabbat meal with you um, and know that you're friends with people who support Trump. Okay. I moved to South Florida. I moved to South Florida and I was at a, a meal with somebody and they started the meal by asking right now, who would you vote for, Biden or Trump, Biden or Trump? I'm like, I, I said some like witty answer where I wasn't going to, I also have a mortgage to pay. Um, I wasn't going to jump in there and say, here's my answer. They were so offended that I did not say Trump. They said, I don't know that I could have this meal with you. <laughs> and and th- it's become so intense and so difficult. There's something behind that. What's behind that? What's so difficult? These are good people. I really believe that they're good people. What's behind it? There's there's pain. There's there there's pain there. There's exile there. There's this there's exile there that we define ourselves in such a small and narrow way. I mean, I'm I'm I don't mean I don't preaching. I'm not talking about whether a person lives in Eretz Israel or in America, because we could argue that the definition based on political parties is even more intensive uh, and triggering in, in in Israel today. And there is no party that that represents the, there's it can't be that a yid that a Jew that a human being is represented by a political party. It's such a limiting of, of our of our of our of ourselves of our souls of our, it's so small. This is what the exile has done to us that we don't that we have such a limited sense of self that we're so that we're so worn down that we don't understand our place in the world. It's very hard. So that's who you're talking about within the in the realm of politics. I think so, in the world of olives, also by the way, in the world of pickled, oh. in the world of, of pickled vegetables and fruits, the same thing. <laughs> It's the same thing. I want to ask a follow-up question to the olives, but I don't want one our producer Rifki to get mad at me, so I, so I won't. Um, so <laughs> I'll ask a different question that is more about Judaism and religion. So politics, you might say that's small. That's that's like it's exile. So let's ask big. Let's say you have a cousin who is going to marry somebody, and you're you know you're in a, you're an observant Jew, um, and you're. They're going to marry somebody who's not Jewish. True story, many times over. Let's say you have a close friend who's Jewish and is going to marry somebody Jewish, okay? But they are marrying someone that you really think is not good for them. It's not good for them. How do you go about that? How do you have that conversation? Someone who is vested and invested in their decision, how do you disagree with them in a healthy way how do you show or share another perspective what do you do how do you go about this 
So it, it's a it's a great question. First of all, when it comes to family, when it comes to people who are close to love, who we have a direct personal responsibility for. So if there's a real basis and foundation of love and respect and communication, then people could talk. Then we could talk. Here's what you're saying. You're saying if you start from a place of love, you start from a place of foundational relationships and say there is care here. What you taught me years ago and then, you know, I've implemented into every single speaking gig I get, into every single time I speak to a school, um, when I ran a school, Daf Aleph. You start with the relationship. Before you get to anything else, you start with the relationship. And if you start with the relationship, then you can have intense disagreements like about things that you fundamentally have a problem with the other person's perspective. But it comes from a place of love. And if you start with that baseline, then you can have a really, really difficult disagreement. Is that right? Painful. Uh, heart-wrenching. Uh, I, I mean, the Jew, right. I, I don't know if I, how open I can be, but the Jewish affiliation with Black Lives Matters as a movement to me is heart wrenching. It's terribly disappointing and painful why? and dangerous. Why it's say why? Dangerous. It's, a, it's, a, it's a, the intersectionality of a movement that places at the forefront of its ideology the destruction of the state of Israel and the harming of me and my children and my brothers and my sisters in Eretz Israel. And has and I think directly has caused anti-Semitism and violence against the Jews of the world, and undermines Jewish values and Jewish identity and, a, and erodes Jewish pride and a Jewish sense of self. And I have a lot of people in my life who I love very, very, very much who march with Black Lives Matters. And you still have a positive relationship with those people. I, I love them dearly. Some, some people I feel very close to and I'll share yeah. Shabbos meals with them and I'll interact with them. And I'm terribly disappointed that this is the way they see the world. And God is called the master of spirits and God is infinite and big and this is their, their right to be choosers and the right to see the world and interpret the world in that way. And it's hard for me, but, uh, but, but, it, but it's, it would be harder for me not to, 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 to give up a relationship, a friendship, a, a brotherhood with a sister, a brother. Jews who, who support a law, abortion laws in the United States that, uh, that erode the, the value of life. There's infinite possibilities here. I can give lists and lists and lists and lists that I have a very different way of seeing the world. And there, was, there is such a thing in the world as disagreeing. And, and disagreeing vehemently, not just about, oh, maybe you're right, maybe I'm right. No, I, I think objectively I'm right. I think you're wrong. I think right. what you're doing is dangerous. I think what you're doing is terrible. I think <laughs> what you're doing is reprehensible. I think what you're doing is treacherous to give right. away part of Eretz Israel, cut off your arm before you sign such a document. God forbid, it undermines the, the God's covenant of the Jewish people. And, and... Ravavaji Yosef and Rav Shach and other great sages of Jewish people and Rav Aaron Lichtenstein and, 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 uh, and many other Sadiqim and Gedolei Yisrael felt differently. And it's the legitimate right of a person to, to, to believe what they want to believe. And, and, and Jewish people have a tradition to have machlokes, l'shem shamayim. And if it's l'shem shamayim, kayim, the relationship can, can continue and the conversation Amazing. can continue. Amazing. Listen, there were things that you just said that I might disagree with, and I want to just describe my uh, physical reaction to some things that you were saying. My heart started racing as you were saying some of those things, and and I still love you, and I agree with a lot of things you said, and I'm suspicious about some of the things you said. And so for me, like that is amazing. That's what I meant earlier when I said maybe we disagree politically. Maybe we don't disagree politically on some of those points. But the reality is it's really hard for people because what we end up doing, I think, is we end up attaching ourselves, ourselves 
to that idea. And when we attach ourselves to that idea, it's hard to make room for somebody else because that somebody else's idea seems to conflict with me as a human being and not me feeling a certain way profoundly about that idea and about that ideal. This is Korach. Korach's worried about himself. He's worried about his place, his ideas. We're, I, 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 we aspire to be. And I also, by the way, I also get, I get hyped up. I go zero to 100 very quickly. Very cool. Especially when my kids have different opinions than me. Oh, you know, <laughs> no, I don't care. I, I, I don't care. Some some guy on Twitter is yelling and screaming. Somebody's writing in caps online. Nah, who cares? <laughs> no, I'm saying. But hold on a second. My like, I'm sitting. That's a generational thing. That's a that's a generational thing. That caps online bit. That's that's. I think I might be generational. But go on. Yeah, that's my dad. No, that's my dad. But, <laughs> <laughs> No, but when I say something, when I give my TED talk on Shabbos afternoon, you know, in my house, I did my, uh, <laughs> my press conference there. And my wife, like, and Ora looks at me and like, you know, I see that look of like disagreement, like, oh, maybe I took it too far. I right away get defensive, right. I, you know. But yeah. so falit kayem means that like, we're, this is what we do. We've been doing this for thousands of years. We, we, we discuss ideas. We disagree passionately. Can Judaism help this world figure out how to disagree? And if so, what's a model in Judaism that you look to and you say, this is a model for how to disagree? The foundation of all of Jewish life and practice, as Buber said, all of Torah and mitzvah, all of Jewish practice lives in the light of the Haftal Recha It's the foundation of all love and respect for another person as we would want to be seen and treated. But it's more than the golden rule. It's a theological expression. It's an expression of God's intent in all of our interactions in the world is to love the other as we as we seek to be seen and loved ourselves. If that's the starting point of all of our conversations and all of our, 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 our debate and all of our development of policy and, and, and our perspectives and how we think and act with other people, then we, we'll fall back. It doesn't really matter if you're right, because in the end of the day, only God knows. Only the, the end of days will reveal what that ultimate truth is. And on the way to clarifying that, if we treat each other with respect, we see the haftarecha kamocha. I'm not willing to, to 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 hate you. I'm not willing to. I'm not willing to. And making that decision, I'm not willing to. For me, in my line of work, I'll tell you where my heart starts racing the most. So what 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 I do when my kids ask, like I like feeling cool and saying, Ah, but what do you do for a living? My answer is, I make content. It's like, all right, that's cool. Um, you make content. But here's the thing: on Google Docs, you gotta see. It's 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 a da- a Google Doc is a, is a dangerous place to be. So on a Google Doc, what you could see as we're writing a script, we have an opportunity right now. You have multiple voices coming from all different vantage points coming in to write a script about whether or not Israel is an apartheid state, whether or not Israel is an occupying force, whether or not Chmelnitsky you know was a good guy or a bad guy. He was a bad guy um, to Jews. But the point is that there are so many different places that we can have radical disagreement and how we choose to engage in that disagreement, whether it's verbal, whether it's on a document, is a, is a godly choice at that moment. And Shammai and Hillel were able to have these radical debates and also marry, uh, their descendants married one another. That is a really, really important thing as we're making decisions. I find this revelatory within the world of Judaism. It's an idea from Amos Oz. It's an idea from maybe Michael Goodman as well. They, they point out that atheism does not disqualify someone from participating in the intergenerational Jewish conversation, but ignorance does. Okay. And so what, what they point out is that, you know, Maimonides would say God 
anyone who says God is corporeal is a heretic. Whereas his, his colleague or his commentator, Ravad, would say, people much greater than you think that. What are you talking about? And at the end of the day, both, are the, both of them are in the Jewish conversation, right? So I, how, how do we deal with that? You know, like they're going at it with one another. Let's say the Ravad or the Ravid and Maimonides, the Rambam. And on the other hand, they're both part of the Jewish conversation. It's so deeply Jewish on the one hand to have disagreements as part of our culture. And on the other hand, with to one another, there is a profoundly intense disagreement to one another. I mean, that, that's what we do. Our entire oral tradition of how we understand, how we figure out what to do and interpret Torah law uh, as daily practice, as, as down-to-earth daily practices with all the different tools of, of, of argument and, and clarification of sides with, I mean, that, that's what we do. That, that's not, that's not a chiddush, meaning like that, that's, that's maybe Which revolutionary is crazy. in the world. It, it is revolutionary in the world. I once showed a Bible, like a, a Bible of mine to a non-Jewish friend. Okay. This non-Jewish friend looked at my Bible and was super duper confused. You know why? My non-Jewish friend brought me her Bible and her Bible had just the Bible, just the text, text, right? I showed her my Bible and it had three lines of text and the rest was commentary, as they say, but literally, and she was blown away. She was like, what is that? It's all, the whole thing is commentary. The distinction has been made or the comparison between the way we study versus the way the outside world studies, the other rest of the world studies. You walk into a library, it's quiet, it's silent. People are studying there and reading on their own. You walk into a Beit Midrash, it's a living organism. It's dynamic. There's arguments. There's an openness. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a fighting. We're called Baalei Tracing. We're called warriors searching wow. out truth, searching out Baalei Tracing, searching right. out the, the, to the clarification. And every person... Like you said, who's in the conversation has a right to be every year, every person, every Jew has a right to an obligation to be in the conversation. And the foundation of all of that is, is that we have to be able to be humble before the text and before the search for truth. If we want it to be so hit kayem, we want our relationships and the conversation to continue intergenerationally, then we have to understand that everybody has a voice in it, even if we disagree with them. Okay, so I would say with two caveats. Caveat number one is that we don't engage in ad hominem attacks. Because when my heart starts racing, there's something that happens emotionally. And I, I, I almost start like getting angry at you, at whomever I'm debating with. And the second I start not having what Malcolm Gladwell calls generous orthodoxy, right? And having this attachment to an idea. And on the other hand, this flexibility to say, okay, you know, maybe there are different ways to view this sort of idea. Um, generous, he's generous in his, you know, in broadness, but orthodoxy is still attached to something. I think that sometimes what happens is we get, uh, we start attacking the person. And the second we start attacking the person saying, you're not a real Jew. You don't, these aren't real ideas. You're not, you know, you're just a reformist. I think that that is outside the bounds. And I think that, by the way, that attitude is a Karachi sort of way to view the idea. The second thing is not a comment by you, but a question to you is, are there ideas that you would say do not belong in your Jewish Beit Midrash that belong in the library? Are there ideas that you're like, no, that is outside the bounds of reasonable discourse and reasonable debate and disagreement? Like Larry David just said on Curb Your Enthusiasm, if you're not holding in this season, he says, she, Susie says, let's agree to disagree. And he says, no, I refuse to agree to disagree. I am not going to agree to disagree. 
And that's this whole bit there. Like, no, that idea is outside of the realm. Are there any ideas for you? So, I mean, of course, there are ideas that are, that are, I mean, there, there are things which are outside the world of, of, of Judaism. There are things which are forbidden. There are things that are usr. There are things that are false. You can say whatever you want, but you can't subscribe to Torah if it's not Torah. Uh, I agree with you. And, and I agree with you regarding the ad hominem attacks. I agree with you that, that, that um, like I said, that was just another way of saying that hafta recha kamocha is the beginning, is that we're discussing ideas. Right. Um, and the discussion of ideas can be very, very, can be, can be taken very personally. I take Yiddishkeit very personally. I take my perspectives very personally. But in a Beit Medrash, in a conversation, in the search for truth, everything is on the table. I mean, the Gemara says, in Paga Bachal Menuval Zeh, Medrash, if the Yetzirah attacks, if, it's, if it seeks to undermine our search for, for holiness, so drag it into the Beit Medrash. Let it be more inclusive. Let it be open. What does that mean? That means that to, to bring all of our lower passions and all of our desires into the world of, of Torah, to address it by, by learning Torah. And the light within Torah will reveal itself and dispel the darkness of that internal feeling. Um, or, or that, or that, that, that pull away from the world of holiness, and I, I feel the same way. Listen, do, 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 I don't want to like, you know, paint with broad strokes here about movements, but I mean, there's no, it's no secret, and I, I don't, I don't believe that, uh, that that people who subscribe to reform theology or practice are interpreting Yiddishkeit MS Lamito according to its truth. Does that place a person outside of the Masora? Yes. Does that place them outside of the Jewish family? The, the Messiah, you mean the, the Jewish tradition? The tradition, yeah. So it places them, I interrupted you, it's the, it places them outside of the Messiah, but not the Jewish family. Correct. The family is family. More than anything, we're, we're not, okay. a, what makes us who we are? What makes us who we are? I live in the state of Israel. I believe in it, you know, as much as the next guy. A yid is a yid. The, the geography does not determine one's Yiddishkeit. Uh, neither does language. Either does gefilte fish or, uh, you know, tabouli salad. I mean, you know, there's pita, pita falafel, lachmajin. It's not our food. It's not our language. It's not our, mo- it's not our mode of dress. Right. Who doesn't? It's not our mode of dress. It's not the hat that you wear or the kippah that we wear or don't wear. It's not a, whether okay. or not a, it, it, what, it, what it is more than anything is that we are a family. Mm. Uh, uh, my own family members, some believe in the divine transmission of Torah mitzvahs. So others don't. You know, some have bought into the state of the Israel as a as an apartheid state. <laughs> you know, it's heartbreaking that people. Are, but that doesn't define us. What defines us more than anything is that a Jew is a Jew. We're part of a family, and we can disagree oh. with family members. And family members can have reprehensible ideas and ideas that are not true. And and it doesn't change the fact that they're just as Jewish. They might they they and they have a right to be in the Jewish conversation. But like, you know, the Lubavitcher Rebbe encouraged, and you know, Steinsatz coined the term, you know, let my people know. For us, ah, the real redemptive power in this, our generation is education. And, and that's why yes. what you're doing is so important, is educating and illuminating so that people can have real conversations about real ideas and it not be personal and not get down to, to name calling. As soon as it gets I, I, to name calling, then yeah. it's already Korach. Then we're already holding in, in, in the world of Korach v'adato. No matter how passionate we are, just pause. That's that's the advice I'd give myself. No matter how passionate we are, we want to go there. Just pause for a minute and ask and ask ourselves, reflect what kind of debate we're having. I'm going to end this conversation, not an interview, this conversation with two questions for us to think through. Uh, question number one is, <laughs> this is intense. How do you want people to think of you? The picture, like the snapshot? I would like yeah, to, 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 to remember me wearing tefillin. 
I'd like, I just said this to my kids this afternoon when I was walking around with tefillin in my house. It was later in the day and I was wearing tefillin. So I'd like for you to remember this, that, that I believe in, in, in the Why? Jewish symbols. Well, first of all, well, the exact example that was, you know, I wanted them to know that, you know, it's not too late and, and uh, shouldn't be embarrassed of, of fulfilling mitzvot, even if, you know, it means that you did it uh, out of the proper or ideal <laughs> context, but a person could always wear it. But okay. tefillin, and for, for this conversation, tefillin, tefillin is, is something which we wrap in the name of all of Israel. We bind ourselves, the entirety of the Jewish people, by wearing this tefillin. Um, it connects the intellect and the emotion. It's a bridge. In the head, each one has its own compartment. There are four separate compartments in the tefillin shalrosh, which represents our ideology, our mind, our philosophy, our approach to the world, the way we see things, the way we see people, our, our intellect. Those four parshiot, the four parchments that are on our arm, that we wear on our, four, on our, on our arm that are, correspond to our heart, the world of, of, of emotion, and the way we treat people and our actions are all in one bite. They're all together. There's not separate compartments. Because when, when we live as a Jew with this incredible, powerful symbol of tefillin, we can have chiluke deot. We have to have different opinions. We have to have different mm-hmm. ways of seeing the world. Each parchment in its own separate compartment. Each parchment in its own place. We have to disagree. We have to see the world differently. But when it comes to our love, of the Jewish people and our sense of, of being connected. We're all in one by it. It's one heart and it's one love. And that's the way we have to treat everyone. So I, I, if there's one way that I want my, 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 my family and, and the people in the world to know that, I, that's something I strive for. That's aspirational. Rev Judah, here's my second question. What's the daily ritual that you ensure to live your best life? What do you do? Spending time every day talking to Hashem in my own words. Because when, when I speak to Hashem, I know that he's listening and I know that he believes in me. Um, and then I feel centered and I feel stable. And when I feel stable and centered and comfortable with myself, then I'm able to go out there in the world and be with other people. When we feel comfortable with ourselves, then we can be with anybody and, uh, and not be stirred from it. We have a place. We have a place in the world. So we okay. to do it a, a daily few minutes, just a few words between us and Hashem off script in a real natural way sets us on a course of being able to be out there with people or being at a family dinner with uh, that crazy uncle who voted for the other guy, you know? If that's our context, if that's our context and we're with that with other people and with ourselves and with God, then whatever content is downloaded in it is fine. You said you, you create content. So my kids ask me what I do. I'm like, I want to be a person who is a person of contact. In other words, to interpret, right. to, to interpret these ideas to bring people close to each other and Tashem. That's our goal. Right. I love it. Rev Judah, Thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for helping us think through how Judaism and how God and how we live our lives um, can really influence the way we disagree with one another, the really influence positively, hopefully, uh, the way we debate one another, and hopefully could help heal this world, uh, a world that is too often right now in a place of disagreement to the point of not having real relationships with one another. So, Judah, thank you so much. Amen. Amen. I'm still digesting this conversation and I'm recording this a few days later. There's so much that Rav Judah spoke about that I'm still working through, but I wanted to just share a few key ideas I'm walking away with. Number one, when we operate from our egos and not from our ideas, we get in our own way. This Mishnah that we opened up with discussing the two different types of arguments, one for the sake of heaven and one not, Rabbi Jonathan Sachs has this novel explanation of an argument not for the sake of heaven. He called it argument for the sake of victory. This is a direct quote from Rabbi Sachs. 
In such a conflict, what is at stake is not truth but power, and the result is that both sides suffer. If you win, I lose. But if I win, I also lose, because in diminishing you, I diminish myself. Argument for the sake of power is a lose-lose scenario. The opposite is the case when the argument is for the sake of truth. If I win, I win. But if I lose, I also win. Because being defeated by the truth is the only form of defeat that is also a victory. See what he did there? I love that line, but if I win, I also lose. Because if our egos are involved, there is no winning. I don't defeat my wife by winning an argument. But if when my wife and I disagree and our goal is to pursue truth, then if even I lose, I win. Because heck, I gained the truth. The second takeaway is this. It would be strange for other people to have the same opinions as me, right? Like, frankly, expecting that from people is kind of narcissistic. That's why the Talmud in Brachot explains, Kishem she'ein partzufehen shavim, kach ein da'atam shaveh. Just like people's faces are not identical, people's opinions are also different. And speaking of not looking alike, that brings us to the last thing I'm walking away with here. I mean, forget looking alike. Rav Judah and I barely resemble each other. He has a huge black beard and lives in Beit Shemesh and has certain stereotypes associated with it. I can't grow a beard. I live in South Florida and have certain stereotypes associated with that. So you know what I'm saying. A beard, a place, a specific lifestyle. That is not the be-all and end-all of a person. We can and must learn from people who are different from us. Let me give you an example. Rav Judah recently published a book called Baderech on the Road. You should all buy it. He quotes tons of different rabbis and tells really incredibly moving stories about different people. But he did something that models exactly what we spoke about. Multiple times throughout the book, he quotes with love and respect the Satmarov, the leader of the Hasidic Satmar movement, maybe the biggest religious opponent to Zionism. And on the same page, with the same breath, he quotes with respect, with love, with admiration, Rav Kook possibly the most celebrated religious supporter of Zionism. It really took me aback reading it because it's so rare to see. But this is the perfect example. Because in doing so, Rav Judah teaches me what it looks like to continue to respect, to look up to, and to love people different from me. I want to end with a quote from Burl Katzelson, an early 20th century Zionist thinker, whose words have deeply impacted me. This is what he says. When I see a man walking amongst us as though he had the solution to every question and every blunder, or as though he had in his pocket a new guide for the perplexed, or for that matter, as though he had no need for any such thing since his lucid understanding knows no confusion, I am afraid he dwells in a world apart and not in our veil of tears with its cataclysms and torments and ravaged hopes unless it is simply that he sells himself on banalities, which are able to straighten out the most crooked line. I confess, a restless, groping, confused soul is dearer to me than one which is still unstained and secure in its pristine truths. Castnell Sin is reminding us here about humility. And you know what? If you remember only one thing about this episode, it's this. We need to stop thinking we have nothing to learn from other people. Maybe we will disagree until the cows come home, but at least let's listen honestly and have real conversations. If we believe other people have something to teach us and we really listen with humility, guess what? I think we'll learn something. 
The Power Of is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Check out jewishunpacked.com for everything Unpacked related and subscribe to our other podcasts. Follow Unpacked at all the social media places. Just look for at Jewish Unpacked. And most of all, write to us. Heck, disagree with us. With love and respect, of course, at podcasts at jewishunpacked.com. This episode was produced by the great Rifki Stern and audio magic. That's all Rob Para. I'm your host, Noam Weissman. Thanks for listening.